The following presentation is a Barrett Sports Media production. He's connected. Jason Barrett says, I'd like to see you here. The answer is when, where, what do you need? Respected. He's got a long and distinguished career in the sports radio business. Truly one of the titans of our industry. And unequivocally invested. This is the place to be if you're in the sports business. He is Jason Barrett. And this is the Jason Barrett Podcast. Now bringing you in-depth conversations with the best and brightest in sports media. And shedding light on the industry's biggest opportunities and challenges. Here's the president of Barrett Media, Jason Barrett. Greetings once again. I am Jason Barrett, and this is the Jason Barrett Podcast, coming to you from the Barrett Media home office. Tickets are on sale right now for the 2023 BSM Summit, which is coming to the campus of USC in Los Angeles on March 21st and 22nd. We'll be having a special one-day-only Black Friday sale this week on tickets. So if you're thinking of coming and want to save a few bucks, Black Friday would be a good time to get your tickets. If you're making the trip and need a hotel room, our partner for the event is the USC Hotel. You can find more information about our special rate for attendees on bsmsummit.com. On today's show, I'm really looking forward to bringing you a conversation with Rich Eisen. We had a chance to connect and discuss his TV and radio career, different parts of the broadcasting business, and the impact that Stuart Scott had on his life and professional growth. I thought Rich was fantastic, and I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy it. What's interesting is that, like many of you who work in the business, I've watched and listened to Rich for decades, but we've never crossed paths. He's been good to BSM. He's promoted a few of our pieces on social. I've always liked his style, appreciated his work, and we share a number of mutual connections. So it was cool to finally connect with him and get into some business talk. That's coming up in a few minutes. But before we do that, let's get into this week's What I've Seen or Heard. Attention. Attention. Have I got your attention now? So on Friday, I was in New York City for the Michael K. Show's 20th anniversary special at the Palladium. First, congratulations to Michael, Don, and Peter on all of their success. Two decades on the air and market number one is a big accomplishment, and that really sunk in when Chris Russo pointed out that he and Mike Francesa didn't make it that long. That's pretty wild. The reason I wanted to talk about this, and just so I'm clear, I don't play favorites with brands and shows. If Craig Carton or Boomer or Siasin were doing an anniversary show and the folks at Odyssey invited me down, I'd be there for them too. We cover the business and root for everyone to succeed in it. So even though I genuinely like Michael, Don, and Peter, we were there professionally to support them as we would others. But while I was there, I looked at the various ways that ESPN New York was monetizing the event aside from the normal spots and live reads you hear on a show. They had signage in and out of the building, a branded bar area, a merchandise stand, which was also promoted on screen during the show. Very smart. They sold tickets to the event, which included a live broadcast of the K-Show, plus a post-event roast involving Mad Dog Russo, Chris Carlin, Rick DiPietro, and Dave Rothenberg. Good Karma Brands Management was there, including CEO Craig Karmazin. Bob Costas sent in a video tribute, and a lot of high-profile guests came by, including Sauce Gardner, Nick Mangold, 
Joe Torre, Oswaldo Cabrera, Seth Rollins, and Mike Greenberg. The station had two VIP areas up top with an open bar, including specialized drinks named after all three hosts. They incorporated sponsors into the live show and the post-show roast, billing it as the Bacchanal, and featured a large image on screen throughout it, which said, it's Tully time, and included a large bottle of Tullamore Dew Irish whiskey. I'm sure they had to pay for the venue, likely shared some costs on merch creation in the bar, possibly covered an appearance fee or two, but in talking to a few folks, they were very happy with the turnout, and they saw it as a revenue driver. Even if they broke even, it would have been well worth it to do the event. Being in the event space myself with the Summit, I know it costs money and a lot of time to create an event that people will see value in spending to be at. But to date, we've not done a conference and not come out ahead. There's always a risk to creating a live event, but there's also a lot of reward if you do it right. Yet big events in broadcasting right now don't happen as much as they used to. And I'm not talking about live remotes at a restaurant or bar or car dealer or digital shows on Facebook or Twitch. I'm talking about the type of experiences that listeners consider reaching into their wallets for and the ones that excite advertisers to find additional money to associate themselves with. We may not be in the subscription business the way many other digital outlets are, but this is our subs business because it represents a path to consumer cash with the added benefit of advertising, not something fully dependent on client support. I've asked many over the years why there's less big events being done, and usually what I'll hear is, well, it's really tough to spend X if there's no guarantee of earning Y. But isn't that what business is about? You have to analyze situations, take risks, put your brand in position to produce a profit. The old adage to make money, you have to spend money, applies here. If you have a great idea, develop it, give it enough promotion, and provide a return on investment to those who are spending to support it, you usually end up in a good spot. And given how much attention is placed these days on words like recession, inflation, layoffs, and how badly our business needs to make up for revenue shrinkage if advertising isn't strong in the first quarter, it may make sense to roll the dice and turn back the clock because the path to profitability exists in the event space. We're just not always ready to walk it. Well done, sir. If you have any thoughts, Barrett at sportsradiopd.com or hit me up on the socials. I'll tell you, I get very frustrated with the stubbornness of many in our business when it comes to creating revenue-generating events, merchandising, basically anything that isn't just ad-driven and requires skill, strategy, and guts. There's always some kind of excuse for why something can't work, yet we continue to operate the same year after year and watch dollars shrink, expecting it'll eventually turn around. I know not everyone is going to take the plunge, but if a few of you listening do, and it leads to better performance, that's why I bring the issues to light. But enough of that, let's get set up with today's conversation. Rich Eisen is a man who needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. He burst onto the national scene with ESPN in the mid-90s, connected in a big way on SportsCenter, teaming up with the legendary Stuart Scott. He then took a risk to help launch the NFL Network, and here we are over 20 years later, and he's still one of the most important faces on the channel. Additionally, 
Rich got into the sports talk radio space in 2014, and over the span of eight years, he's developed the show to become a nationally syndicated program. It's been featured in the past on the Audience Network, Fox Sports Radio, Peacock, and it's now distributed by Westwood One and heard on 50 stations nationwide as well as SiriusXM. It can also be watched on the Roku channel. For more information on carrying the show or consuming it, you can check out richeisen.com. As I mentioned earlier in the show, this was the first time I've had a chance to talk shop with Rich Eisen. I think you're going to enjoy listening to what we got into. So here is the conversation. Yo, listen! It's a pleasure, first of all, to have you. I've got a ton I want to ask you about your broadcasting career, but you just came back from Germany. So I got to start there. What was the experience like? It was, uh, it was something else. I'm jet lagged out of my skull still, you know, I'm a 53 year old with a lot of ish going on. (laughs) It was unreal. I mean, um, I've been fortunate to go to and call um, some of the London games in recent years. 2019 was the last time I did it. London is a much bigger city than Munich and sort of like that Super Bowl in New York or, um, you know, uh, a Super Bowl and say, you know, uh, Miami or something like that. The, you know, the town can absorb it. You can be in parts of the, the area where you don't know the Super Bowls in town or the event is in town. Right. Um, you know, in Munich, it really transformed at least the, the main part of the city where we were staying and, and, um, and where a lot of the action uh, was. And fans were everywhere, man. And I met people from uh, Africa that came in, like Buccaneer fans from Angola. Um, I wow. took, uh, you know, I met, I met um, a guy who takes in this show um, every day from, uh, and he called in today, actually, because we met um, in the beer gardens. He's a Buccaneer fan from, from Abu Dhabi. I mean, um, and so there are parts of, the Middle East and Africa that the NFL was able to reach by having a game in Germany. And then the fans were just locked in. I mean, both Brady and Pete Carroll um, remarked on it. And, you know, we're coming out of break from the two minute warning. Um, Our stellar producer, Mark Teitelman was in my ear saying, let's get to a promo for the post game show. And they're singing, country road you know from john denver on maps like <laughs> seventy five thousand is as one and i couldn't believe it and i made the decision to just be quiet and come out and just let fans hear what i was hearing which was wild and then brady snapped the ball rashad white went over 100 yards as they're still singing john denver in munich it was just <laughs> wild man and so um uh, i would be stunned if the nfl doesn't go back there um, every year from now on, and there being Germany, certainly in terms of the football fans of Germany, they were very knowledgeable and incredibly engaged. I mean, it just shows the power of the NFL and their reach and how the game has changed over the last couple of decades. The uh, the scene afterwards and how long people stayed in the stadium. Just yeah, it was to, like a karaoke session. Jason. Yeah, it was cool like just kept, to watch that. Yeah, it went from uh, um, Sweet Caroline to uh, Don't Stop Believing." Um, and then they put the uh, post-game show that they were doing in the stands on the scoreboard, and that's when people started to disperse. They were just singing and, and drinking all the way through it. 
it was you great. and I could talk football all day, but I got I got to pick your brain on a bunch of broadcasting stuff because okay, I've been following you for you know since back in ESPN days to the NFL Network, and I'm always curious, Rich, about people's media influences. So like when you're coming up, you're going through school, you're getting into the business. You had to read somebody or watch somebody or listen to somebody and said, you know what, that'd be pretty cool. I, I think I could do that. Who who were some of those influences for you? I'm from Staten Island, New York. Um, so I would watch um, the evening sports casts and on WNBC in New York was Marv Albert. Yep. Um, and on CBS was Warner Wolf. Yep. And on WPIX uh, Channel 11, which was the home to my beloved New York Yankees, uh, was a guy named Jerry Gerard, mm-hmm. who had a real, you know, sarcastic, dry sense of humor. And he was kind of doing Sports Center stuff before Sports Center. And so really my the, the guys who I emulated was was Marv um, and Jerry Gerard and Howard Cosell. Um, I, I just. I just loved his bombast and, you know, I was a fan because again, I guess I watched a lot of channel 11 as a kid in New York, the odd couple was on and yep. Howard Cosell guest starred. On I the grew up in Bay Ridge. I know exactly what you're talking so, about. You know, I'm across the Staten Island, uh, Verrazano, yep, Verrazano bridge. bridge. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We had a bridge connecting our hometowns, man. So, um, uh, so that's what I, I, I grew up uh, watching and, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have Marv on this show a few times, and every single time he's been on, I just embarrass myself. I don't care. You know what I mean? <laughs> I tell him, you know, uh, his style. I mean, I rip him off his style, his cadence, his, um, you know, sarcastic sense of humor. Yep. Um, all of it. Um, so those were my three influences growing up. Uh, you know, the old line imitation is the best form of flattery, right? Sure. A lot of folks, you know, uh, first, obviously, became really aware of you when you got to Bristol. I mean, it's mid-90s. The network is taking off. Your, your style on there was infectious. What do you remember about that process? So I was in, um, I, I went to Michigan and graduated there and worked for my hometown newspaper, the Staten Island Advance. Yep. I went from there to Northwestern Medill School of Journalism. Um and because uh, I, I just wanted to break into sports broadcasting, which whichever way I could. And also my my friend and colleague from from uh, Michigan, Adam Schefter, had gone through there. And a couple of my other Michigan Daily student newspaper friends went through Northwestern. And it, it was um, it was something I wanted to try sports broadcasting. And I went through there and I got a job in Redding, California. And uh, I was there. Um, sent a tape to three headhunters. There were three headhunters at the time. Um, and one of them, Don Fitzpatrick and Associates, um, had me on a reel. And I got a call from uh, somebody from Don Fitzpatrick and Associates, a guy named Adam Freifeld, who now works for HBO Sports. He's the one who called me and said, hey, you need to send a new fresh tape with your best written material because um, there is a, uh, a shop interested in your in your work. And they really stress the written word. I'm like, okay. So I sent a new tape and one day I'm at work in Reading at my sports desk. And it's, um, one of those old phones. Um, I don't think it was rotary, but, uh, <laughs> one of those old princess phones that would ring twice if it was a call from outside of the area code in Reading. Normally that was my parents calling me or my brother calling me at work. And instead it was an agent named Henry Reich 
of William Morris telling me that he heard that I was one of the hottest up and coming sportscasters in America. That's the words he used. And he wanted to see my tape right away. And I'm like, um, if you say so, because I'm, I'm, I need to go cover this high school volleyball match about an hour and a half away here. Um, I remember calling my brother saying, you'll never guess who just called me an agent just called me once my tape. And I'm like, that's unbelievable. Um, and 10 minutes later, another ring ring at my desk. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm such hot shit right now. That's going to be ESPN on the phone. And it was, in fact, Al Jaffe, the famed VP of talent for yep. so many years yep. at ESPN, who I'd sent multiple unsolicited resumes and tapes to um, for years to no avail. And it was him. And I almost, you know, carpet MF bombed him thinking it was my brother calling my friends from high school saying, call him up right now. He's real. He's real ripe to be uh, <laughs> pranked. Tell him it's ESPN. But it really was Al. Um, telling me he wanted to interview me right away. Um, that at the Cable Ace Awards, they were going to be in Southern California um, in about a month's time. Can I meet them there? And I, I remember meeting them there, um, you know, one by one, one executive after another. Um, John Walsh, the grandfather of SportsCenter, Norby mm -hmm. Williamson, mm -hmm. who's still there. Vince Doria was there for a long time. Uh, Bob Eaton. I remember one by one, they came down to the uh, lobby of the uh, Nico Hotel, now the SLS here in La Cienega in Los Angeles. And I guess that interview went well. Um, and they auditioned me in mid-January of 1996. And I was hired in, on SportsCenter that March. And it was like lightning struck me. It was like really like winning the lottery. But when when but you when, started when, on SportsCenter, your, your work with Stu Scott, you know, is legendary. Everybody... I know who grew up and watched it literally was hooked on what you guys did together. Your chemistry, the ability to play off of one another was phenomenal. When you got, when you first met Stu and you guys are yeah. talking about doing shows together, did he prepare you for how different he was going to be? Cause I'm sure no, you didn't I'm, work uh, with anyone like that in Reading. Uh, I'm sure. Right. Uh, I mean, we never, we never asked to do shows together. We were just paired up. I don't know. I still to this day don't know who saw Stuart, and me on the air and thought that would be a great mix. Whoever that is, I would love to give a hug to because it was amazing. Um, it was dynamite. And um, I'm, you know, I, I love talking about Stuart mm -hmm. because he's been gone six years now, Jason, and um, his memory should be living on forever. And I think you do see it in so many other people who are um, uh, emulating Stuart and they're on air delivery and on, on their in their on-air um, style and at the time I don't think Stewart thought himself um, uh, a groundbreaker trailblazer iconoclastic he just thought himself himself and um, and so I love talking about him he called me his TV wife and you know we 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 were attached at the hip and um, I, I just love running into people who tell me that they we're in grade school watching me and Stu and it freaks me out that they're in their mid thirties now, you know, <laughs> or early forties. But, um, it was truly a, a, a lifetime memory. I love the guy. I think about him all the time when stuff happens in, in sports, wondering what he would think and what he would say. And, um, you know, uh, I remember one time we just kept on opening up our schedules 
on the old com basis computers up there in Bristol. And we would see that, you know, you always look down to see what shows you were doing for the month. And I would match up with Stuart over and over and over again. I just remember after a while, he would turn to me in a commercial break and like, are we a team? Like, are we <laughs> like a new team here? Or like, are we? And, um, and it turned out that we were, and uh, I'll never forget it. It was just amazing. You know, I had an experience with him. Um, I haven't talked about this before, but I knew we were going to be talking. I know your connection to him. And it, this was like, I learned about how quality of a guy he was when the camera wasn't rolling. I was early mm -hmm. in my career. I went down, uh, I was working at a small local station uh, covering the, I think it was a Giants-Broncos game. And he's at the game at Giants Stadium. And he's literally on the field in the corner of the end zone. No one's around. And I'm sitting there, I'm three years in the business. I'm like, you know, I love what this guy does. I just want to pick his brain, ask him some advice, right? And he's got his leather gloves and his long coat on. And I go up, I introduce myself thinking like, oh, this guy's going to be like, look, I got enough stuff going on. I don't need this. He spent 15 minutes giving me some good feedback. And I remember, you know, I said, my, my goal one day is to get to where you're at. And he said, well, I hope the day you get there, call me. And I'm thinking, no way is that ever going to happen. Rich, I get hired at ESPN. I produce at game night, and I eventually move on to the Dan Patrick show. And when I get to game night, I'm there for like a week. And I'm like, I wonder if he's ever going to come by the radio hall. And if he does, I got to tell him the story. And now he may have been full of it at this point. And if he is, God bless him. But I see him in the hallway one day, and I go back and I go, I just had to come up and tell you, you gave me advice about six years ago at Giant Stadium. And he goes, yeah, small market guy. And without missing a beat, he goes, what I tell you? I'd see you here one day, but you never called oh. me. And I just was like, well, I didn't have your phone number, first of all. But secondly, like, this is like life just hitting and being like, is this supposed to happen? This is crazy. I love that story, man. It's That's cool. so cool. It's, it's yeah. what makes what we do so much fun because you never realize how many people you impact. I, I want to ask you about when you were on NFL Network when he passed. I mean, what you did on that that day was just so uh, warm, emotional, like, you know, the way you interjected his catchphrases into your on-air delivery, I thought was just so special and so perfectly timed. Did you prep that that day? Did you? Because I was like, I knew he was sick. I knew he was sick. We all knew he was sick. I didn't know how gravely ill he was. You know, I just didn't, you know, he wouldn't let, he didn't let me know. He tightened the rotation yep. in his life towards the end of his life. So um, I didn't hear from him as much. So I thought something might be up. Um, and, um, and uh, uh, you know, I just remember uh, the executive producer of NFL network at the time, Eric Weinberger came to up to my ear in the middle of a break and, Man, it's kind of hit me just even he can't, you know, he told me that uh, Stu had passed mm -hmm. and, um, you know, do I want to take a break? And I'm like, no, I, I don't, you know, like Stu would, you know, I, I want to say something. And he goes, OK, just let me know when you want to. Um, we're on the air live. And I just thought to myself how fitting it was that, I, you know, I don't do too much live TV for NFL Network Studio much, not not in the, you know, first nine years I did. And yep. since then, I, I, I don't do nearly as much. 
But the fact that I, I was on the air live, I just thought was a gift for me to be able to talk about him. And I just jotted down a few things to just talk about him and um, speak from the heart. You know, man, I mean, that's what we do. Um, you know, you know it, I know it. Anybody who does this for a living knows it, that you just have to speak from your gut and your heart and and be yourself. And and um, I think, you know, I'm, I've probably cried more on TV than Dick Vermeil. You know, I, I don't mind showing. I don't it's mind okay. Crying. It's 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 real. You know, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. So it's nice that you again bring that up and bring up Stewart's name, and you know, it's pretty cool. I don't want to uh, make it all about ESPN because you've obviously had a lot of career since then. It's all good, man. I was there for seven years, and it was unbelievable. And I don't. You know, people come up to me in airports and still sing the Sports Center theme to me. I I, yeah. I love it. I mean, you it know, shows that you made an impact while you were there. It was twenty six to thirty three. It was amazing. Um, I I always, you know, um, whenever I see my old ESPN friends, I, I still stay in touch with them. I harbor zero ill will. I am, um, you know. My, I met my wife in the newsroom. My three kids are therefore ESPN babies. You know, I mean, so go for it. A lot of good stuff that came from that. But you obviously made the bold choice. You left in 03. I'm uh-huh. curious, like, you know, I saw DP went through it. Rick Riley, when he left Sports Illustrated to go there, had to go through some stuff, right? A lot of, a lot of people take risk in this business. And Ultimately, over time, you find out, did I make the right call or not? Obviously, you're there two decades now with the NFL. It's safe to say it worked out. When did you become comfortable and know you made the right call, though? I remember when it was, Jason. Um, It was at the Super Bowl that very first year with NFL Network. I mean, we didn't launch until week 10 of the the 2003 season. And, you know, um, we were on and just direct, on DirecTV and uh, small cable operators. I mean, there was a long-ass war, if you remember, with, you know, Comcast and James Dolan and, you know, whatever the hell his deal was with, you know, the part of the world that he, he, he was owning in the cable world at the time. And at any rate, so uh, we were on in just, a, 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 I think, 11 to 14 million homes and, um, you know, ESPN was on in 111 million homes. So I, I cut my exposure in about 90%. Um, and um, it was at the Super Bowl in Houston. Um, that was the Tom Brady um, Patriot Jake DeLome Panther Super Bowl, Tom's second. And um, so we had a hell of a week. It was great. It was as if we were fully distributed. I mean, the league and Steve Bornstein nailed it we were on in every hotel room we were on in every media bus we were on every television screen like every few feet in the convention center our guest list was second to none um belichick stopped by in day two um we had um george hw bush we had the entire cbs crew from nance to dion first time i ever met dion he was working with CBS at the time. We had uh, the co-MVPs, uh, Steve McNair and Peyton Manning. I mean, we had um, an incredible guest list to the point where ESPN was kind of like goal hanging on our set to take some of our guests when we were done to bring them to their outside set. When we were done for the week. We did all five days of total access. My wife flew in 
And I remember walking down the hallway with her and I got really emotional and I just looked at her and, you know, and I'm like, this was the right thing to do. This was it. And it hit me right there. You know, I had sensed it. I knew it. Um, and, um, and that's where it kind of landed right there. And, you know, the rest is kind of history. You know, in addition to the TV, I mentioned early on the radio show. You got into that in 2014. That's right, Jason. I'm a, ra- I'm a radio man All for right. eight years. I was going to say, you're, all, you're coming up on a decade soon. Hold on, man. Not just that, too, is because you mentioned ESPN many times. I'm the original yeah. voice, the uh, inaugural voice of Major League Baseball on ESPN Radio. I was the studio host there. Uh, I loved doing that. I, I I went to many World Series as the, the host of the pre and post um, for the um, John Miller, Joe Morgan called broadcasts on ESPN Radio. Um, you know, the chief, the great chief. Oh, yeah. Uh, John Martin. Uh, John Martin. Uh, I loved him. Uh, still do. Um, and I have nothing but the the highest regard for him and um my history long-standing history <laughs> as a radio guy and I, I i you know i'll be honest with you you know since we're we're having this conversation before i you know you get to your your question here jason is you know i kind of uh bristle a little bit that i'm viewed as a t- tv guy interloping in the radio business you know um if i was that i would have quit this thing a long time ago yeah, I was gonna, that's literally where I was going to go is you have a lot on your plate. You could literally just sit on the side, dabble, do a podcast once a week and not not right. go through the grind that you do. But you choose to do it and you've been doing yes. it for almost a decade now. Why is I mean, you touched on probably a little of it when you mentioned the connection to it with ESPN and just having an affinity for doing it. But why is radio right. important to you every day to, to dedicate so much of your life to it? Because I talk to people, I can opinionate, I can give my opinion, I can I can hear from people, I can go back and forth. I mean, you, you know, the number of times that you'll sit on a television set or with a television executive and they're trying to crack the code on how to reach a fan. A phone, that's how you reach a fan. Yep. And you give them an opportunity to connect with you and call you and talk to you and give an opinion and you give an opinion back. It's called a back and forth. It's called reaching out to people and allowing, you know, putting yourself out there to have someone call you and tell you you either suck or not or whatever. I kind of love that. I did stand-up comedy in college. I love the back and forth with, with people. I'm, I'm used to getting immediate feedback for my stand-up days. Yep. I love it. I love it. You know, the number of times, again, that I've, I mentioned to NFL Network, it hasn't, you know, we did it a little bit. Um, but the, the schedule release show, perfect example. Okay. We started doing that right from the get-go at NFL network and we got ridiculed for trying to make something out of nothing. Um, but it is something to get a schedule. Like a fan can see it and get excited. And then it is also an opportunity for that two, three hour program to talk about uh, what's going on in the NFL. And I'm sitting there thinking, what does this feel like? You know, this feels like my show every right. day, like it's an opportunity. There's like, well, here's the Raiders schedule. What do you think about the Raiders? What do you think about what they've done in the offseason? What do you think about the coach? What do you think about that? That's a sports talk radio show. 
Yep. But it was on television. And then the question's always been like, how do we reach fans? Like fans aren't like, so we would send, you know, uh, correspondents, poor Albert Breer one time spent time in a sports bar in Washington, D.C. area and, you know, in, or Boston or wherever he was. And fans weren't like getting the Patriots schedule and running out to a sports bar to get a drink and celebrate paperwork. <laughs> they, were in the, they were in the sports bar watching the Celtics, and the Bruins, you know, and so you're watching a hockey game or a, a basketball game behind the, the correspondent. And I, I finally said, I'm like, if you want to reach fans, let me do it on my show, like open up the phone lines to people and let them talk about it. That's why I'm on a radio show. I love it, man. I love it because on 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 a um, on on a sports studio set, you know, I sit there and I play traffic cop, and I'm 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 not denigrating it. It's it's been a terrific career for me. I love it, and I do like you know setting up my analysts and bouncing you know, when Michael Irvin says something or Kurt says something or Mooch says something or anybody throughout my entire career of being a, a, a TV show host bouncing back and forth. But after a while you, they get in your, like, you know, wrap it. It's been three and a half minutes. It's been four minutes, <laughs> really? you know? So, um, you're like, radio, I got a lot more to give here. Let me expand. I mean, radio is, I mean, the amount of runway you get in a radio show is significant. It's daunting. You know, it does take an energy to, to fill it. Uh, uh, and, and I refuse to do the hot take shit that will, you know, maybe light up a phone line or whatever. I just, I just say what's in my heart and what's in my mind and so be it, you know, and I, and I know I'm in a, I'm in a mosh pit with people who will say stuff and, you know, don't care if it's fact checked. And when it is, it doesn't matter. It's seen as proof of being heard, which is all that's mattered. Um, that's not me. I think that's why to be very honest with you, the many times that Dan and I have been back to back um, from audience to Peacock, um, you know, it, it felt like a, a, a terrific six hours to me. Yeah, um, no, that, that's definitely the That's the my long-winded answer is I get to talk to people and I get to say stuff that I enjoy. And I, I, I love the endeavor. There, You just can't get it from just a straight television product. You can't. You also get boxed in when you're on, if you're doing a football show, you can't talk about other sports. It's about football. Like today, the day we're recording this, you're asking Sylvester Stallone about whether yeah. Rocky is a sports movie or not. Well, you know? and that, to be honest with you, man, uh, that's been years ago, years and years and years ago. First Super Bowl I'm at, okay? It was the uh, wardrobe malfunction Super Bowl. <laughs> but it wasn't lost on me. OK, it wasn't lost on me that the largest sporting event that this country exports and holds for an international stage gets stopped in the middle for a rock concert and nobody bats an eye. And as a matter of fact, if the game sucks, the rock concert is talked about more than the game. And I'm like, OK, so sports is part of the pop culture landscape. Sports can be argued just like movies can be argued and TV shows can be argued, or you can stop a sports show to talk about movies and TV. And I wanted to do that. That's why I started my podcast. That's why I insisted in the beginning of NFL um, Total Access that we would have a celebrity game picking segment once a week. I had a fight for that. Um, and that's why I started my own podcast to have the ability to talk sports and pop culture. 
Now, when I started this show here at DirecTV, Chris Long, who was the major domo of Audience Network, who's one of my favorite people ever, he saw the value in that. And he provided a celebrity talent booker with the initial mandate of one celebrity guest per hour. That's a tough thing to do. And it became particularly tough when sports talk radio station program directors and station managers called up saying, you know, what is this? Why am I hearing about such and such as new movie and this actress coming on when my competitor is, you know, talking about SEC football and arguing about the Cowboys and they're like not phone lines. And the there was a ton of pushback. And I'm a sports talk radio host in the sports talk radio world, stopping my show as I did today for the actor Luis Guzman to tell an incredible story about Carlito's way or when he was on the set of Boogie Nights, Mark Wahlberg uh, bribed him $1,000 in free sneakers to pull the rug off of Burt Reynolds' head. <laughs> and to me, that is just, I would rather have that than manufacture which five-win team has the best chance to make the playoffs. And I am thrilled that I have um, benefactors, not just at the Roku channel, but now about 50 radio affiliates when I had zero. Yeah. Fox Sports Radio decided with iHeart and what have you to um, uh, go a separate way, whatever words you want to use, when, when Audience Network decided to um, shut her up. Mm -hmm. And um, I have built my radio network up slowly but surely through the help of some tremendous people at Westwood One and Cumulus who I adore and, you know, Sirius XM and, you know, Stevie Cohen yep. uh, and Odyssey. And so I am thrilled that I have the leeway to do what I'm doing and that you are talking about what Sly Stallone had to say about Rocky. Cause to <laughs> me that, and I obviously I love talking sports and I love having sports takes and I love having an opinion and I love doing that, but this is a show about life, man. This is a show about life. And sometimes it strays out of the lane of sports, mm -hmm. um, whether it's sometimes political and it's sometimes social justice. And it's sometimes, um, you know, the candy land of, of movies and TV. But I'm very resolute in that this is a formula that can work. And I'm still, you know, at it for eight years now. The thing I respect a ton is that you've went out and built your network by your, you know, you, you've obviously had some support, as you mentioned, with Westwood and Cumulus getting behind you. You've had to find those partnerships, but you've done it on your own. At, at the end of the day, people have to make a choice if they're going to carry the Rich Eisen show. And yes. they, it wasn't just put as part of a big package. They have to decide they do, and you've been doing that. I want to ask you one broadcasting-related question, and then I got a rapid fire I'm going to throw your way. When I watch you on TV uh, and I listen to you over the years doing your show, the thing I've always appreciated is I, I think you come across, you, first of all, you've got great wit. I'm sure you hear that a lot. But Thanks. you come across really calm and cool regardless of what's going on. Like you're just able to like keep the pace moving while everything is digestible. And I learned like when I worked with DP, why he's brilliant at interviewing. I learned watching Greeny, why he's great at teasing. If there's someone listening to this, I don't care if people are in the business for 10 seconds or 10 years, you could always learn something. But if there's one piece of advice you could give to a broadcaster out there of 
something they could do that would be actionable to get better as a performer tomorrow, what, what would that be? The advice I always give people is um, be yourself. Uh, you know, that you are your own fingerprint and that, um, and that you have to believe in yourself. Never take no for an answer. I've had doors slammed in my face, literally. And the most successful people I've ever met are the ones who are themselves. Uh, I will never, like Stuart's a perfect example, a story you told before. Okay, that's the dude. Wasn't an act. You know, he had fun. He had a shtick. We all have shtick, but that's him. Uh, I will never forget uh, when I got hired by ESPN. It was before um, ESPN News existed. I think Greeny came in a couple months after me, and ev he and everyone else that got hired got put on ESPN News and had to work their way into a Sports Center lineup. I got thrown right in the deep end of the pool. But you had a an observation month where you observed. And one of the meetings that I observed, one of the sports centers I observed happened in the week where Berman uh, would occasionally just, you know, parachute back into Bristol and do sports centers like old, old school. You would do like a week or three out of five sports centers in a week. And I just remember the guy who I grew up watching at the draft and on sports center, the guy who I watched was the guy who walked in the room. And I, 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 it was not lost on me. And the same thing with Keith and DP and everyone. So just being yourself. And sometimes people can't be, and they feel like they, they have to put on an air or something. Just be yourself. And I think that that is the thing that will carry the day. And don't take no for an answer. And um, the phrase I always tell everyone around here that we, is kind of our mantra, certainly, you know, in the last three years that this show is what, what we've been through and have gotten, come through. Um, is if not me, who, and if not now, when? Mm -hmm. Like no one's going to do it for you and no better time than the present to do it. And it's not easy to figure out, but I know I didn't really, you know, come up with one specific thing that somebody can get better at, but that's, those are no, my but that, that works. I mean, it's, it's really good advice and you're right. There are a lot of people I know, like when I was starting out and I was on the air, I wanted to be Mad Dog Russo and I had to go home one day and my, my father said, are you trying to be Jason Barrett or are you trying to be Chris Russo? Start being Jason go. Barrett. That'll work. You know, you, you have yeah. to be original or you're just going to sound like a copycat. And if you're a copycat, why would I get you when I could get the original? Great advice. Your dad is a, is a great ass kicking right there. Yeah, I wish, he, I wish he had spent some time in the business. He might have a, <laughs> been yeah. a little more helpful starting out. I want to wrap sure. with you on what I call rapid fire. I'm going to hit a few questions. Just the first okay, thought that it. comes to mind. We'll have some sure. fun here. The next country that should call an NFL game, not not London, not Germany, should be who? I've heard Spain is a great market. Um, I would love France, man. Uh, uh, an NFL game in Paris? Holy smokes. Worst professional assignment you've been given as a broadcaster? Oh, God. I once covered a rodeo in, in <laughs> Reading. And, you know... I mean, when I was in Reading, it was like if you ever saw the the TV show Northern Exposure, um, you know, I was like the the New York Jew strolling around the the the, the mountainous region of Reading, California, where you know, learning how to pan for gold and fly fishing <laughs> and stuff like that. And and I remember covering the rodeo, and I remember I had to interview Ty Murray, um, and I I didn't know who the hell he was. Um, this is before Google, you know. Um, and I remember walking up to the 
front, you know, where walking in with my press pass and my three quarter inch camera attached to a deck with the coaxial cable connecting the two. And I remember asking that guy um, where Ty Murray was, which was akin to at the time walking into the United Center and saying, can you point out Michael Jordan to me? <laughs> and it, wasn't, it wasn't great for me. All right, this one's going to be tough for you. Better school to learn journalism and broadcasting, Michigan or Northwestern? Oh, I would say Northwestern. Northwestern Medill School of Journalism is second to none. Uh, I would say that. But uh, my, my hard knocks at Michigan, if you will, my, my great learning experiences were both working at the Michigan Daily, the student newspaper, um, and doing stand-up comedy. Those are the two things that really serve me for the rest of my days to this day. Like doing stand-up comedy, um, it makes everything that I do that much easier. There's nothing more daunting than that. The only thing that, the only moment where I felt similar to that, like pressure in my career was I did the Sports Center highlight of, I think, game, shit, I forget which game it was, but it was in San Francisco, the last World Series I covered between the Angels and the Giants. And it ended so late that if I didn't do the highlight properly, if I made a mistake, if I tripped over a word or whatever, they weren't able to re-record it and place it into the later sports centers for whatever reason. I would have to wait to do it again live an hour later and the entire crew would have to stay. Oh. So like literally the evenings and the hours and the long day of dozens of people hinged on my ability to do the highlight properly. And that made me feel like I was trying to make an entire, you know, room laugh. That was the only time in my career I felt the similar pressure of a stand-up because nothing else compares to it, including my first sports center. I know, I know you want rapid fire and I'm no no I'm no that you. was a great answer and I appreciate the intel on it. Favorite Stu Scottism. Oh, um, I mean, I guess cooler than the other side of the pillow is the it's i'm so good so i think good. about him literally man now that again i'm i am in i got three kids 14 11 and nine and i'm in i'm 53 and you know sleeping nine hours in a row without waking up in the middle of the night is it's it's history man and so um sometimes i will flip the pillow from one <laughs> side to the other and I will remark to myself, it is cooler. I don't know what it is. It's cooler than the <laughs> other side of the, you know. And and I think about Stuart like often when I flip the pillow over to the cool side, you know. I've got uh, two last ones. I gave you the worst broadcasting assignment before. One show or broadcasting assignment you'd like to do before calling it a career. In all honesty, I had always had uh, dreams of hosting a late night show. Um, and, you know when when those th opportunities never really materialize that's why another reason why i do what i'm doing and it's, it's set up like one where there's a desk right. and a guest here and a microphone and you know so i'm i'm basically living out that dream every day um but um i guess if there's a hosting gig on tv and then there's one like you know hosting the oscars would be something and i, I remember when they went hostless i offered to do that phone never rang um <laughs> But hosting a game show, uh, I've always wanted to do that. Always wanted to do that. 
Uh, my wife hates it when I tell people I was born to give away cash and prizes, but I really, I, I really, I mean, the price is right. Would have been a dream job for me. Uh, any game show. Uh, Wheel obviously, of Fortune. No, Jeopardy was up for grabs. Wheel of Fortune would be incredible. My niece is actually on it tonight. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what she's, she didn't tell me what, what happened. So, All right. The final one, because I know you're a Jets fan, a Yankees fan and a Michigan fan. So yes, here's the good news. No, you can't ask me. These oh, no, questions. no, you, you've got this. This is the Jets win the Super Bowl, okay, which is something you never think is going to ever happen. They win, but the Yankees never win another title in your lifetime, or the Jets win the Super Bowl and Michigan never wins another national title in your lifetime. This, how dare you? You're asking me to choose between my children. How dare you? Do you have children, Jason? Do you have children? <laughs> I do. I do. Okay. Would you like me to ask that question of you? Uh, like, I would have to pick. By the way, that's bullshit. Okay, this is a false equivalency, what you're saying to me, because uh, honestly, I, I see I see all these New England fans, they're water skiing behind a million yachts. Why can't I? You know, I mean, my, and that's why last year's Michigan went over Ohio State was so great. I just, I spent so many years like lamenting. I'm like, well, just one day I'd love to live like an Alabama football fan. You know, right. and I'm sure you're also like there's a lot of Alabama football fans who might be a Braves fan. And last year was incredible, you know, or uh, last year, Georgia Bulldog, Atlanta Braves. Like, why can't I have that? So <laughs> I, I, I reject your premise. I reject it. Wholeheartedly. I reject it. Thank you for listening to the Jason Barrett podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe to this show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon, YouTube, or wherever you consume podcasts. And to stay in touch with Jason, follow him on Twitter at Sports Radio PD or read his columns on BarrettSportsMedia.com.